Greetings, greetings, and welcome back again to the uh, your favorite time of the week, the Fifth Column Podcast, your once weekly, hour long guided spirit quest into the dark recesses of the uh, present political, I don't know, and okay. cultural media landscape. I, I wrote something, but I don't know if it's going to work. Much. Is it a little much? <laughs> What were those rap hands you I were just know. doing? I don't, listen, we talk with our hands. Yeah. And by we, I mean people mean who people, are in the room. People right now. from the Northeast who are, the, room. Who are sure. the problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. God. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we, we're getting off to, a, uh, <laughs> to an exciting start. Uh, I am Camille Foster of Freethink Media. I am joined, as always, by my co-conspirators, Matt Welch, editor-in-chief of Reason Magazine, and uh, Michael Moynihan, who's the columnist at the Daily Beast and a contributor at Vice News. Uh, gentlemen, how the hell are you? Uh, yay. Good. That's great. Wait, we had a big election yesterday. We did. We did. There's, uh... This is all that has consumed uh, us in the past, I think all three of us in the past uh, 24 hours. Um, hit pretty hard with it. Everywhere you went, Matt. Every uh, single place. Matt lives in, in Brooklyn. You live in Manhattan. A little different and you're in Manhattan. Uh, Matt, hanging around in Brooklyn. Were you were you in Brooklyn yesterday? I was in Brooklyn, yeah, for well, um, well, most g- of the day. G- give me a <laughs> give me a snapshot of what you saw in Brooklyn. Yesterday. I saw some Bernie stickers on the ground. I saw, I think, exactly. Uh, you know, the New York Times Interactive had this great map of you could break it things down by neighborhoods, by AD district and ED district. And I don't even know what those those mean no. after death, um, attention uh, early disorder. early death uh, district. And so our little four block uh, region had exactly. 25 votes for Republicans, and uh, the last count was 447 for uh, Democrats. Uh, and uh, boringly, uh, was uh, like uh, a lot of New York and like a lot of the Northeast. And I think that's going to be a theme uh, here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Super <laughs> heavy for Trump and yeah. for Hillary Clinton. Erica Greeter, who's great. She's a follower on, uh, uh, from Texas Monthly. Uh, she's a great uh, uh, journalist, really funny. Um, last night had the, the tweet of the night as far as I was concerned. She was like, after after the vote totals, I don't want to hear another New Yorker ever, ever to talk shit about Texas or the South being a bunch of back, <laughs> backwoods rednecks when you just all like shit your pants for George Wallace. OK, enough of that yeah. already. And uh, that might be a little bit strong and I'm getting Kiel's yeah. back up already. Yeah. But uh, 60 percent for Donald Trump. And yeah, uh, yeah, the actual yeah. vote totals in and were pretty low, though, right? I mean, Donald Trump won. Uh, how many votes did he get in Manhattan? He got like you know sixteen or something. And, yeah, you know, there's like nine million people in New York City, and like he won with a very very small uh, vote total. And I suspect in your neighborhood that the Working Families Party, one of these great. Uh, New York institutions, you know, probably created by Lenora Fulani. And if anyone out there has their Internet uh, connection in front of them, Google the great Lenora Fulani, who I believe ran for for um, for uh, uh, president uh, as the vice president of Pat Buchanan. (laughs) So so if you if you hadn't guessed, uh, dear listener, uh, we are going to talk about the New York (laughs) presidential primaries. We just just got off to to a lightning fast start. Uh, We're also going to talk about uh, perhaps a useless meeting that is taking place in the city uh, this week as well in New York City, the same city. Uh, we've got a very special extended edition of Some Idiot Wrote This. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a long uh, time. And uh, in <laughs> a very inconveniently timed presidential trip uh, to Saudi Arabia, Obama in the desert. Uh, in order to delve into all of these topics appropriately, we are joined by a guest today. 
uh, and it is a dear friend of all of ours, uh, a frenemy, uh, a gentleman by the name of Anthony Fisher. He's an associate editor at Reason.com. He's hey also a sports and culture columnist at The Week. And uh, formally, formally, this is trivia for the mm-hmm. fifth column, uh, a producer on what is almost certainly, undoubtedly actually, the best cable news television program in the history yeah. of the universe. Uh, and, uh, further trivia, um, and people should write this down because it may come up later. He did get fired for sexual harassment. Yes, he did. That is true. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. I decided later I that I liked it. Yeah, I really liked it a lot. He sexually, uh, so. he sexually harassed uh, uh, what's uh, the, the British guy on Fox Business. <laughs> the British guy. Stuart Varney. Stuart Varney. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if there's any truth con- to that. It was consensual. This yeah. is an important the, the, the I was topic. the first ever to be fired for that. <laughs> Stuart Varney. His favorite Beatles songs is, is, and he's talked about this at length on this broadcast, is Tell Me Why. Wow. How weird. That's nobody's favorite song. No. Just think about the little, uh, the, when John Lennon tries to go falsetto. <laughs> no, but honestly, really, at that point, you should just say that your favorite band is Herman's Hermits. Just get it over with. <laughs> I, I've got I like no Rory, idea what you guys Rory are talking Storm about. Storm and the Hurricanes. Come on, Stuart. All right, well, let's, let's get back. Uh, you know, Anthony is somebody... Um, that I trust on a few things, <laughs> mostly on stuff about New York, because he's written so much and in kind of angry, not angrily, he pisses people off because he writes brilliantly about gentrification. And before, coming in here, we we're talking about how this stuff fanned out in New York City and seeing Williamsburg, rich kind of gentrified neighborhood going for Hillary and then the hipster villes uh, in, in the other parts of Brooklyn going for for Bernie. Um, you're in Queens. I am. Right? Yes. Give me a sense of what, what you took away from yesterday's uh, 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 vote. Because there's, I, I got some, uh, there's some madness that I saw going on. We'll get to it. Well, second. I mean, I, I don't know if, I, if I'm qualified to give the Queen's perspective, but I can say that <laughs> I, I live in a, a, a uh, the, I live in Astoria, which is uh, arguably one of the most diverse uh, neighborhoods in all the whole country uh, as far as ethnicities and religions. My particular yeah. enclave is Bangladeshi. Yeah. And there was no uh, – I could see no enthusiasm whatsoever for any particular candidate. The, the four or five blocks around my neighborhood, no stickers of any kind. But Bernie's last big rally was a few blocks further towards the water in Long Island City. And on Monday night, it was like hippie Woodstock. It was like hippie Woodstock. I know that's a, uh, yeah, a, a, uh, <laughs> a little redundant, but uh, it, it was like – like I think of Woodstock. I think of Woodstock 99 with Limp Biscuit and oh riots, you know. So this was actually like a real throwback to just patchouli stank and, and, and filth. And uh, like the, the, the biggest celebrities they were able to draw were Danny Glover and Fisher Stevens. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Danny Glover. Yeah. Um, wow. so he, he got a plane out of Caracas. Yeah, I didn't know well, yeah. they, were, they, they were flying. So, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the, the, the uh, you know, we've also talked about this. I think, uh, what was it, WNYC and The Nation now have launched a, a, a podcast specifically devoted to gentrification. Oh, and, and that is terrible. And, and I, and, we, and I said that, the, like, literally WNYC's entire audience is made up of gentrifiers and a few old, uh, old rich white people from the Upper West Side. It's, so. it's okay so long as you feel bad about it. Yeah, That's yeah, what's yeah, really exactly, important. Exactly, yeah. because there was always somebody there before you. Yeah. yeah. And it's like these people in Williamsburg who now, like, live in Bushwick, and they're like, this is, you know, further out in Brooklyn. It's cheaper. It's more artists now, quote, unquote. And they say, like, God, this neighborhood's, you know been gentrified. It's yeah. like, do, you, do you understand that 15 years ago, it was like all Puerto Ricans, I, 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 like, I, I, to, and you came in? To I mean, drop why an, is this? 
to drop another podcast reference, I was doing a pretty uh, obnoxious hipster podcast uh, about gentrification where I was set up to be the villain in the room at a bar in Bushwick where uh, they were, everybody was just, you know, sobbing over what's happened to Bushwick. And I just said, I was like, you know, I grew up not too far outside the city. This was the place where the drug dealers I knew (laughs) re-upped. Now we're doing a podcast (laughs) here. It's it's, it's the place the drug dealers (laughs) wouldn't come. I mean, Bushwick Bill from the Ghetto Boys was called... Bushwick Bill. <laughs> Does anyone remember that? Oh, I do. God. I do want us to talk a little bit about this election. I mean, yeah. I wonder what what you gentlemen saw yesterday that stood out to you. Did anything surprise you? Were we fully expecting Donald Trump to carry the day? Well, not so, like so, that. Yeah. Go on. Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, Trump did not do all that well in his what is really his home turf of Manhattan. He did much better in places like Rochester, in a lot of the old you know factory towns that are now just kind of like state university towns. So he, even though he kicked ass in the state, uh, you really can't blame it on the the urbane <laughs> New Yorkers. Yeah, yeah. Trump, uh, uh, he's going to win at least ninety delegates, maybe as high as ninety two. I think uh, that is the surprise. There's ninety five delegates at stake because there's twenty seven congressional districts. And each one, even if there's only 12 Republicans in them, uh, would get uh, awards three delegates per. There is a, a potential swing between 61 and 95 delegates here. And he got 90. That puts him back on track to maybe getting the nomination before the convention. That's new. So that is a surprise. Uh, I thought that he would be hurt by the same thing that definitely hurt Bernie Sanders, which is the onerous registration rules. If you were interested in voting uh, in New York, Michael uh, referenced the Working Families Party. There's also the Conservative Party. There's this tradition in New York, because New York's just weird, of uh, of different third parties and and different... uh, sort of coagulations out there but you had to register by last october right 9th. because it's a closed primary and so you it's, actually have to be registered as a democrat or republican to vote in those particular yeah primaries. so when when erica greeter's favorite the new yorkers are talking smack about the, like a voter disenfranchisement <laughs> uh, they also have kind of a, a i mean it, it is it's onerous to, to to make it go back in six months so i thought that would hurt trump like it hurt his kids Two yeah kids not, couldn't, couldn't not at vote. all he's bringing unaffiliated voters some independents people who've been outside the process into it and he just dominated he beat everybody in the face. This was the worst electoral defeat Ted Cruz has ever experienced in his lifetime. He now has zero chance of winning enough delegates before the convention, which was kind of preordained anyways. And Trump has been, over the last couple of weeks, hiking up in national polls. There could be some actual momentum happening here, which is you know usually the, tomorrow's starting pitcher or whatever. But like his, his consistently going after the rigged kind of process and emphasizing that it's important to win at the ballot box, I think has resonated with enough people and uh, it's, it's resonated with enough people or yeah. de- you think delegates as well? well people there's, who there's vote. There's two, there's two states left with monstrous amounts of delegates, just two, Pennsylvania and California. California yeah. Donald Trump's polling at about 18% yeah. ahead in California and 20% ahead in Pennsylvania. Percentage points, Fisher, percentage points. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, uh, the, one of those states is a winner take all. I think it's Pennsylvania. I mean, the thing that's frustrating about this is you have all of these people saying, I heard this a million times yesterday about, uh, you know, the rules and, you know, it, it, it comes from both Sanders people and Trump people. By the yes, way. yes. And it reminds me so much of a particular election recently when all of a sudden everyone decided that the Electoral College was a bad idea. <laughs> After the fact, right? <laughs> so everyone now has discovered that, geez, I mean, you can register up until a couple of weeks ago, but changing your party, you had to do it in October. This is an onerous restriction on my voting rights, et cetera. It's like, no, you're a dope. <laughs> and so when you talk about things like the working family parties and you talk about the 1965 mayor election here in, in, in New York City, and you talk about the Conservative Party, and William F. Buckley in that election ran 
as a Conservative Party candidate because John Lindsay, the, the, there was a beam too. John Lindsay, the, the Republican, was too liberal. And there's a great, hilarious history. And people who are interested in New York politics, like our last week's guest, Harry, Harry Siegel, know a lot about New York politics. They're very, very deep in the weeds. But this, because it's such a transient population of like young people, mm-hmm. you know, here to become directors and <laughs> novelists and just general dickheads, they <laughs> end up coming in, plastering themselves with Bernie Sanders stickers and saying, like, I don't get why I'm not allowed to vote. <laughs> I had this yesterday. There was I went to a coffee shop in uh, Bed-Stuy. Which, by the way, if people don't know Bed-Stuy, you, you might remember it for, as the scene, as the, the um, location of do the right thing, uh, racial tensions and everything. The, the racial tensions have gone because it's just a bunch of rich white people now that live in Bed-Stuy. Bill, Billy Joel cites Bed-Stuy as, as an example of why he's crazy in You May Be Right, I May Be Crazy. Is that right? I walked through Bedford-Stuy alone. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> I've never heard Bedford-Stuy. I guess it works in the song. It was, that, it was early 80s. I mean, yeah. nothing works yeah. in a Bill, Billy Joel song, actually. Um, so I'm in Bed-Stuy and there's a coffee shop. Um, which is called Bedford Farms. I guess I'm <laughs> identifying this. And I go to get my coffee, and there's a there's a girl there who has a um, Bernie T-shirt on. You know, the thick glasses, like shitty tattoos on her arm, Bernie T-shirt on. And she immediately asked me, and this is we're going to go into something that Camille and I talked about, the stickers, the I voted stickers. But she asked me, did you vote? Which I'm like, to me, it's like, you know, like, did you have sex this morning? Like, I don't, it's none of your business. Like, did you, ma- I mean, it probably it's better it's none of your say, business. Did I masturbate no. this morning? And like, I did masturbate this morning. I didn't vote. So <laughs> relax and calm down. So I, I get into this conversation. Then I sit down. The only open seat is right next to the register. And every person that comes up, they're, they're talking. And I tweeted this one thing. One guy was like, uh, his, his girlfriend or friend said like, um, uh, who do you think is going to win? Do you think Bernie's going to win? Everybody had Bernie stickers on it. was like, incredible. <laughs> and he said, you know, 99% of the polls say Bernie's going to win, but mm-hmm. the media doesn't want you to know. Yeah. It's just great. Because who does these polls anyway? Um, you know, private individuals. But the great thing was, to the point of like how clueless people are about this, and they get so excited for things they, they don't understand anything about, like Bernie's economic policies and elections – they were. This woman was saying, "You go and vote anyway, and if you vote, you have an affidavit." Did you hear about all this stuff? Yeah, like an affidavit, and there's going to be a lawsuit, and we're going to. And I'm like, "You, you people are literally the most delusional people." <laughs> this is a primary in New York, and he's going to lose by a lot, and he did lose by a lot. And the uh, the the most uh, I judge everything by tweets these days because I'm so lazy. <laughs> I don't write anymore. And the, I guess the most popular that's, tweet, that's just called good journalism. It's called good journalism. Yeah. The most popular more tweet that that of mine last night was. I'd like to congratulate Hillary Clinton on becoming the 45th president of the United States because that's what happened last night. That's the story of the evening last night. Donald Trump, as you said, is going to Matt, as Matt said, is going to take this uh, nomination for Republicans, and uh, Bernie's done. So is, is this is, this is the end of Ted Cruz then? Just to take the temperature in the room, I, I don't really dig the horse race politics, but it seems pretty significant if. Ted Cruz is effectively out of it. Well, it's over because he didn't pull a, pulled something out of his hat. It's over because he can't clinch it, and he won't be the White Knight if it goes to a brokered convention. Well, so. I, I I disagree with that. I think I think he still has a chance to become the nominee. He doesn't have a chance to become the nominee through the front door. He's got to go through the back door, and that's the, the energy that he's been expending is to go to. Uh, states that have already voted and going to delegates and say, I know you have to vote for Trump or somebody else in the first round. Vote for me the second round. And he's already secured more than 150 delegates on the second round that that option is still available to him. And he is still, in my judgments, the last the only other person who has that shot. But now he and the entire kind of never Trump people who are busy licking their wounds uh, all over the place today. I, imagine John Podhoritz today, by the way, just <laughs> crying, 
crying into his well, we Matt, should, we, we, should, we should get John on. He's, oh, yeah. uh, we'll he's definitely a funny, do he's a funny guy. Matt, when you use the phrase backdoor, you have to always say not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Because yes, we want yes, this yes. to be a safe place for people. We want yes. them to know we welcome them, we value them, and we don't we don't care what sort I just of want lifestyle. To say that nobody Egypt. objected to me talking about having masturbated this morning. So no, I think that's <laughs> a safe that, space. Well, that was actually yesterday. Yeah. So this is a safe space. Um I do want to ask about uh something we talked about before. Which is which is the Donald and and this notion of him being just super objectionable. I don't know if we saw a different Donald Trump yesterday when he was giving his uh, sort of post election speech. Um, but I mean, he didn't refer to Lion Ted. Uh, he he was almost statesmanlike. And I talked about this a little bit before. I've told you guys before. I do not think he is the worst thing in the universe or even the worst person running for office. It's not obvious to me that that's the case. Uh, and that doesn't mean I like him. Uh, it means I hate them all. No, it just means you have bad judgment. Mm. Uh, but but are you guys judgment. at all at all persuaded that perhaps there's a softening of of Trump and that he perhaps might be becoming more of a statesman? He's slightly changing the way that he presents himself at rallies for the last two weeks, and he might continue that slight presentational change. But fuck no. <laughs> no. no, I mean, he, 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 as far as I'm as far as I've seen, he hasn't walked back the whole building a wall. He hasn't walked back the whole ban on Muslims. No, uh, that's because that's it, because it's working. Yeah, well, so, you, so, so, so really, it really it really doesn't matter if he's if he's if he's changed yeah. his tone and if he's you know not encouraging violence against protesters. I, I it's the substance really that is still the problem. No, no he's I mean he's still suggesting that. You know, all like Sunnis are on the moon and like she is on Pluto or something. <laughs> Not walking it back, as Camille said, because it works really, really well. I mean, what you're seeing here is pulled highly yesterday too. Is uh, is uh, this uh, Paul uh, Manafort guy? This guy brought in, mm-hmm. who's a real Republican strategist, and they're and, and you know pushing Corey Lewandowski down to a different point where he can beat like smaller <laughs> women and children. Um, and I mean, essentially what's happening here is that what it seems, and a lot of people inside the campaign are saying this, is that he's, they're just saying, you know, at this point, you're going to win. Calm the fuck down. You know, I mean, that seems to be yeah. the Paul Manafort strategy. And yeah. they're, they're bringing a lot of more professional Republicans. The uh, uh, Scott Adams from Dilbert, who's been a very interesting guy to watch uh, uh, break all this down. He's been predicting for a long time a third act uh, that is a, a, a much stronger difference in tone and that he's attracting women. Which he, he got uh, great marks with women in New York and he's polling now nationwide uh, a, a, a strong plurality among Republican women. And so there is a theory out there that, yes, he is. He's a shift. But I, I agree with Anthony, his basic idea about how the international economy works, for example, which is not a small thing, is so insanely bad. And he's not going to change that for a second. He's going to try to win the presidency and he's going to fail. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something else. I mean, I want to pivot back to something uh, Moynihan raised earlier. Just this this sort of look at me. I voted. I'm special. Uh, There is something really obnoxious about the aggressive virtue signaling that is taking place all over the city um, yesterday and the day before where folks are just starting these conversations, having them loudly enough so that everyone on the train car can hear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm going to vote for Bernie. Yesterday, I heard this this tortured soul talking about her her agonizing decision that she had to make that morning in the voting booth. She she went in and she wasn't sure who she was going to cast her ballot for. But this was so important. And she cast it for Bernie. For Bernie. She made the decision for Bernie. I don't know that there's anything more obnoxious than like adults wearing stickers <laughs> who, who have to be told that you've yeah. done a good job, yeah. who, who believe that supporting a candidate like Bernie Sanders, even if they happen to know that the that he is economically illiterate, 
that this is just the right thing to do because it's good and I mean well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not really good enough. I mean, I think that you can – the only time that I would proudly wear a sticker that said I voted is if I was like Chelan. It was 1988 (laughs) and I said, you know, no to Pinochet. But this is like a ridiculous – I mean, it's it's so – I mean, you're right about this, of people talking about it so loudly. And I saw it at two stores yesterday, two stores in Brooklyn. And I'm surprised they didn't make it a a Bernie rule. But they gave you like $2 drafts and like X amount off this if you were wearing – a sticker that said that you had voted if you know it reminds me of the uh, unbelievably brilliant uh south park season and there's an episode in which uh stan's father goes to uh, uh whole foods and they're asking him if he wants to donate you know that thing every time mm-hmm. you swipe your card it's like do you want to know, donate a dollar and he's like no that's no, fine and he's like you really you don't want to donate a dollar to sick children and he's like no, no that's fine he's like you don't so this, the kids you're fine with them dying and, everything. and that's essentially what you feel like and they're like do you want a dollar off your coffee if you voted and i'm looking at them i'm like and they're like you know you really should vote and it's also this a presumptuous thing in new york that that i've a lot of people pointed out to me who don't live here is that if you engage somebody of your age group and your cohort cohort in a conversation about politics the presumption is always going to be that you agree with them that you must be some either sociopath or like it's like seeing a unicorn where they say, like, you should vote. And like, you want me to vote even if I was to vote for Donald Trump? Would you, would you be happy about that? <laughs> well, well, how they, how they could would, you possibly do that? They would probably charge me $2 more for a beer or give it to me free and throw it in my face. Well, so. So one of the more obnoxious virtue signalings that I've seen over the past few days was the lead singer of Vampire Weekend going oh, on God. a Twitter rage storm, um, basically saying, <laughs> know, right. Bill de Blasio, if you don't stand up over, over this voter registration thing, we're enemies. And it's like, yeah. Bill de Blasio doesn't have anything to do it's with no the state <laughs> the Democratic Party rules, which have been well established for a real long time. No, but, so the thing about being like a political journalist yeah. or being interested in this stuff, it's almost, I mean, imagine if this is your job, and this is like your job, it's your, it's like, this is your job, and imagine like once every four years, every <laughs> jerk-off in your neighborhood, and you were like a heart surgeon, got like got together and they publicly talked about, you know, what was wrong with heart surgery. Yeah. It's like, no, you, it requires a certain level of knowledge, not a lot of I'm not saying I'm I'm particularly informed. I'm just saying like it's one of these things that people think they can walk out and just have opinions yeah, on, yeah. and that's it. Like when you say like they say people you ask people basic questions like you know uh, it should be fifteen dollars an hour. Why not a hundred? Okay, then they're a bit stumped by that. The people should pay the, the a fair share of taxes. Well, you know the rich pay sort of 90% of taxes, et cetera. What is a fair share? Well, I don't know. I mean, these it, kind is of reactions. It hard to, is, it, is that too much to ask? Matt it, Welch, is it too much to ask? I like the people. You guys can go to hell. <laughs> uh, my, my favorite uh, bribing uh, aspect came in, in uh, the Czech Republic, former Czechoslovakia. There was a party there called the Friends of Beer <laughs> Party. Yeah. And what yeah. they would do with their rallies was have like topless babes. This is back. They probably don't do that anymore, sadly. But uh, topless babes come and, and, and present you with beer and sometimes Jaeger shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you get the, the bribe to vote. But it's for yeah. kind of a, a good cause. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. The open bribery for voting uh, is is fine. But yeah, the the the, uh, I, the numbers, the Manhattan numbers, the Brooklyn numbers everywhere is the one voter for a Republican in Park Slope. Oh, that's great. It is. Uh, it's a reminder how outnumbered you are on any given day ideologically here, which is comical. I don't I don't uh, sweat about it at all. But occasionally it comes up in funny ways, as in when uh, friends mom uh, of uh, my daughter has a friend on the playground and her mom at the school 
uh, and we'd known each other for a while, and we were hanging out in the playground, and she's like, oh, you're dressed up today. What are you doing? Well, I, I'm co-hosting a TV show. Oh, yeah, on, on what network? Yeah. And I said, oh, it's Fox <laughs> Business <laughs> Network. <laughs> and it was, and she jumped back yeah. physically. Oh, it yeah. was as if she had yeah. been bitten by a snake in the yeah. face. Yeah. Uh, you, but you know what you say, and then you know how she hears that. You say, it's on the Fox Business Channel, and it comes to her as, as it is on the official television network of the National Socialist Journal <laughs> party and she's like oh really i didn't know that you were one of those tooth you know the little mustache and i mean i have had the same reaction when i say i will be totally honest i mean i'm always honest with people but i'll be more willing to say to people oh yeah i'm going to do some tv today this happens all a lot and i say i'm going to do like chris hayes's show that i'm fine with if i say like i'm going over to fox it's, it is literally like, you know, there's an amber alert that goes off. <laughs> I, uh, it's just hard. I actually it? had to train my daughter during uh, the time on the independence to not tell people where I was. <laughs> because she would. Because she would, and it would become a thing. Yeah. And she'd come back and say, do you work for bad people? She actually asked me that one time. Uh, Holy yeah. I mean, this, is, this is serious. My daughter was four at the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> the, answer, let, the answer, of course, is... Yeah, of course. Yes. But, but yeah. Let, let's, let's also, you know, I mean, yeah, this is an Anne Frank. I mean, <laughs> I mean we're not... I mean, it's, it's, sim- not it's similar. No, 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 no but I, 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 it was, it, it, I didn't want her to catch the grief. I, I'm, yeah, I can yeah, take yeah. the slings and arrows myself. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, by the way. I didn't yeah, want yeah, her to yeah, do yeah. Well, that was your mistake. That was your mistake. So I want to move away from this election. There is one more awful thing though that happened last night ted cruz uh while giving his his not so rousing uh speech in another state other than new york because he knew he'd lost and wanted to try to gain some momentum said something about america being at her best when she is on her back spread eagle moist and dtf (laughs) it was so weird that's not exactly what he said but i did have the audio and i just want to i just want to because i know you Oh, God. He may have been knocked down, but America has always been best when she is lying down with her back on the mat and the crowd has given the final count. It is time for us as a nation to get up I give you the final count. Ladies and gentlemen, Cruz. Bill Cosby. <laughs> Didn't, what? Wasn't was that, that, I don't he, know what you're talking about. He had about. that pig fucker line a couple of weeks ago, too, right? <laughs> what? what? Wasn't there something about uh, Donald Trump and... and oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's there. Google it. Everybody Google it. This has been a very salacious <laughs> primary yeah. campaign. I, 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 I'd seen this reference to this. the first time I've heard the audio yeah, of it. And everyone thought it uh, was, was portraying it as if it was like a yoga mat and it was sexual. I think he's talking about female boxers. What? Huh. Yeah. What do you yeah. think? Like million dollar baby. Listen to it again. I mean, listen, and it's what's do I have your face. To listen to it again. I mean, he is talking about boxing. He I mean, it's a boxing metaphor. Down. But America what? has always been best when she is lying down with her she... back on the mat. On the back. Oh, it's a yeah, back on the mat. She's been knocked down. He's identifying with female boxers. He is being appropriately feminist in the 21st century. Yeah, it's not going to work. I want to say that this is not going to work. The weirdest thing Matt's ever said. Yeah, he's down for the count. You think that Ronda Rousey is somehow involved? (laughs) Um, Yeah, this Mister I hate New York values. But no, I I just want to say that 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 it, it is not true that America is at its best when it's been knocked down and down on its back. Because I'm thinking sort of like 1973 to 1975, after kind of a humiliating defeat in Vietnam, oil crisis, wasn't the best time for America. I'm, you just, know, saying, uh, I'm, just, I'm just saying. We got bombed, uh, as we all know, by the Germans at Pearl Harbor. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and very soon after that, what we did fight and win a World War II. That's very important. But sure. we also locked up 120,000-odd, mostly Japanese uh, people here. That wasn't America at its best. Well, we, World War One wasn't America at its best no, internally. We, 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 we'll try, we'll we, try not to do those things again. You know, one of the things to, to mention about World War One, and I'd like to 
you know, use this opportunity. It's just like a weird thing to point out. But <laughs> no one ever points this out. But before the Palmer raids in 1919, before the sort of first Red Scare, the United States was actually putting people in prison, was actually arresting people and putting people in prison for distributing literature that said we should not go into this war. And this stupid thing, the a fire in a crowded theater, which nobody knows where this comes from. And the fire in a crowded theater, the Supreme Court, was at Felix Frankfurter, I think. Am I, I think right so. about that? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and, says, and says, you know, you can't shout a fire at a crowded theater. And by the way, this was in it, when they were adjudicating a case of a Yiddish newspaper in New York City that was being prosecuted for saying we shouldn't be involved in this war. And he was saying that was shouting fire in a crowded yeah. theater, by the way. Yeah. So what people don't often understand is that is that this was used to, you know, put people in prison for having sort of heterodox political views during the first yeah. anti-war, so- I, anti-war socialists. And were, I want to absolutely I want to yeah. devote like an entire conversation to that. That is one of my least favorite phrases to hear. But I do, since we do have you with us, Anthony Fisher, you wrote something. I did about POTUS visiting the desert. Can yes. you tell us what on earth is going on here? So that's set the stage for us and give us some uh, context. All right. So um, the president uh, had planned this, uh, this, this. This visit had been planned for a very long time. Relations between the United States and the kingdom of Saud are at a pretty bad state right now for a bunch of different reasons, not least of which is the increased pressure, which has been going on for years. And former Senator Bob Graham, who was a, a guest on The Independence and actually talked about this, uh, has went on 60 Minutes last week and talked about uh, the 28 redacted pages of a, um, not the official 9-11 Commission report, but a different uh, congressional inquiry uh, into intelligence failures after 9-11. And basically, the, even though they can't legally talk about what is in these 28 pages, the, the wink that people like Graham and several other people who have seen the uh, documents say is that there was direct Saudi Arabian government involvement um, helping the uh, 19 hijackers get into the United States, get into flight school, and even after the fact, even after they were all dead, there was, there was certain involvement um, in, in the attacks. And uh, the government, uh, the, the Bush administration and the Obama administration like keeping these 28 pages secret. There is a bill before Congress right now that would allow uh, victims of terrorism to um, it, would, it would remove the immunity of foreign officials that they currently enjoy uh, and allow them to be directly sued by the families. Um, and the Saudi government has said if this bill passes, uh, we will divest of about $750 billion in um, U.S. assets. And the Obama administration is begging. They're, they're, they are, they are pounding the pavement, basically saying, do not pass this bill. It is going to be reciprocity against uh, American officials, American citizens. There will be diplomatic and economic fallout. So it's, uh, it's bad news. And moreover... Saudi Arabia is engaged in a really horrific war in Yemen right now that we are directly aiding both with uh, money, uh, with uh, arms, and we actually have several, uh, quote-unquote, advisors who are sitting there directing drone strikes that have been used on schools, hospitals, tons of civilians killed. So there's a lot of bad stuff going on right there, and and uh, Obama doesn't want the, um, the Saudis to... Uh, in further inflame tensions with Iran, their Shiite uh, regional rival, which is basically what the Yemen war is, is a, a proxy war between uh, Houthi rebels uh, that are funded by Iran and uh, Sunnis uh, and the, the, you know, what's left of the Yemeni government. Um, so it's bad news <laughs> all around. And the president is, tr- is, is trying to go there to be like, 
How are we doing? How's our relationship going right now? <laughs> you know, I mean, the incredible thing about this, and you got to give conservatives a really hard time about this, because they, they attack uh, Obama from 2008 on, and especially the Cairo speech of the, the – this is a president who's going on making an apology tour. We're weak. We're prostrate in front of these foreign governments. Uh, and nobody mentioned Saudi Arabia and the mm-hmm. fact that we've been prostrate to this vicious ISIS-like regime in Saudi Arabia for as long as anyone can remember. Yeah, I mean, take Cuba human rights and uh, times 10,000. I mean, yeah. literally people being in those videos, as you can see, people being beheaded in the streets. Mm-hmm. Women can't drive. The religious police that, that attack women, that people are put in jail for the most. Killing bloggers. Rain, killing bloggers, etc. I mean, the Saudi regime is one of the most loathsome on the planet. And we have been, you know, on our knees in front of the Saudis for as long as we can remember. So, I mean, the idea that this is Obama's apology. This is something we do with a lot of governments who, you know, we have an interest in, in, in courting them for, for whatever reason. But, you know, 9-11, if this is Ted Cruz coming, you know, this is sacred ground. I mean, I, there's all these, was it Ted Cruz that said that, right? I, I, there's all this sacred ground stuff. It drives me a little crazy. But we, the way we talk about this with an appropriate amount of reverence for the victims and everything, and then when we say, you know what, there's a financial cost to releasing these 28 pages, which apparently, according to the 60 Minutes thing, is what I gathered from it because it's very vague in a lot of ways, that it's low-level government support. Mm. It doesn't implicate people at the absolute top of the monarchy. Mm. But either way, but if that is what, if this is what we do for 9-11, right, which Mm. is this sort of sacred thing in in, in recent American life, and we can't see those 28 pages because it might cost us a few bucks or it might piss off the Saudis. You know, I'll tell you what, there are people coming around to the Obama administration side. I think Paul Ryan's Mm. been you know, mm-hmm. yeah. backing up. But it has been mostly a bipartisan um, uh, effort, one of these uniquely bipartisan things that says we need to see these 28 yeah. pages. G- Gillib- Kristen Gillibrand, Democrat from New York, and Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, were the uh, co-sponsors of the bill. And, um, uh, I mean, it's worth noting that we're still at war in Afghanistan 15 years later. Right. And we went to Iraq. We went to war in Iraq, uh, supposedly for some loose affiliation with 9-11. These are, were two wars that will never end and cost a lot more than the $750 billion that is being th- you know, dangled as a threat by Saudi Arabia. And this is 9-11 we're talking about. I think yeah. the principle should always be that no goddamn foreigner should hold our own sense of speech and truth hostage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saudi Arabia is. The... <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you really have to say that, like George Wallace? <laughs> yeah, no, but he's right. He's right. No, Please I, continue. This, this, this is uh, let's nash- if, if we're going to have a nation, right? If this is going to be a country, wow. Camille, we either wow. have a country or we don't. We either yeah. have a country or we don't. And part of that is being able to do things like not only show a report. Instead of hiding it, our, right. our papers, our, our intelligence, yeah. but also calling the Armenian genocide a genocide, which we do not do officially. Sure. We're, all, we're right up against the Armenian right. genocide mm-hmm. anniversary, April 24th, because we're afraid to piss off the Turks who are insane about the question. And because we're in this, you can always come up with a practical argument of why this is just going to get in the way of relations. Right. It's going to complicate right, right. things. Sorry, enough of that. Although you know? haven't, haven't even the Saudis or at least representatives of the Saudi government come out and said, well, look, you should. Let publish the twenty-eight pages. Publish uh, what's in them. I don't know if that's an, an official. I, I've thing. certainly read. I've certainly this read morning, accounts that this have suggested morning, it according to reporting from the Financial Times, there was a, um, uh, a meeting with John Kerry and a senior Saudi official where they openly admitted at this point, like, "Hey, look, you guys have been uh, increasingly hostile towards us, and that's why we're funding ISIS." Mm. Like. I'm sorry, yeah. we yeah. shouldn't be really taking many of a marching orders or caring about this. Prince Bandar. The longtime ambassador from Saudi Arabia here 
was in the White House on September 14th or 15th, I forget what it was, 2001, with his longtime friend George W. Bush smoking fucking cigars Mm -hmm. on the balcony talking about how how can we deal with this problem. Yeah. I'm not going to quickly get over that. Mm. That's messed up. Those 15 of the 19 hijackers came from Saudi Arabia. There is some definite financial support going on here. It's the madrasas, the worst madrasas in the world are in Saudi Arabia. It is the seat of the worst part of Islam. They also it's, fund those ones in Pakistan. You know, they, the, the, I'm sorry, but they fund them in the United States. I yeah. mean, there's Wahhabi mosques that are, I mean, there's one in Washington, D.C. that's built with with Saudi money. I mean, it's very, it's very, very common. The question that I have about all of this, and it's a slight, it's a slight kind of, Diversion from Saudi in particular. But the question is, is this, and I'm interested what you guys think of this, is that when, because I brought up the kind of conservative idea that we are being weak or Obama's being weak and these apology tours, is there in some sense something to that? And, and I'll just say, I'll put it this way. Russian fighter planes buzz an American um, destroyer in the Baltics. I mean, like an inch away. I mean, this thing is buzzing back and forth. They have no idea what's going on. If there's a hostile intent, they're taking their chances. They're crossing their fingers and saying, these guys are just being jerks, right? They don't shoot the damn thing down, right? So Obama has a conversation with Putin soon after. By all accounts, he didn't bring it up. Now, this is, this is uniquely American in this sense. If, you know, this didn't raise the ire or the, the anger or the... Uh, of any of these people, like you know Glenn Greenwald or something, but if the um, if an American plane had done that to say a Chinese destroyer, a Russian destroyer, anything, sure, there would be hell to pay. So mm. it's a different standard. But is that actually a good thing? I think it is a good thing. Yeah, I mean the, the restraint. There oh, yeah, is no, no, strength no, I'm not in restraint. About this no, no, so I know, yet. I know, yeah, yeah. and I'm saying that there is strength in restraint. Yeah, there is no desperate need to 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 demonstrate that you are the most powerful nation on the sure. in the world. Everyone knows that already. It's everyone else that but has to try. We, yeah. Have we gone f- too far in the direction of, like, let's not piss people off? I don't think. Not yet. I don't think so. <laughs> not okay. yet. I don't think so. And I certainly... It, that I mean, will be in the, the, case, that'll be the pull quote and be like, hey, what's up, Iraq? Yeah. In, the case of, in the case of the Saudis, I say push <laughs> Fair it. Fair enough. I say yeah. push it. That's, that's my own right. weirdo isolationist take. All I'm right. not really an isolationist. I'm a non-interventionist. But at any rate, uh, Anthony Fisher, thank you for joining us. My thank pleasure. you for illuminating this topic. Thanks, uh, yes. We're going to take a quick break and come right back with you uh, in a minute. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column. 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 Yeah. So, uh, as promised, we have a, a special extended edition of Some Idiot Wrote This. Uh, I think sometimes this segment uh, is sort of a quick dish on objectively stupid stories. Uh, people who have opinions that are just merely contemptible. Uh, But this week, uh, the honor is shared uh, by a cornucopia of media organizations and journalists uh, that have all been, uh, I don't know, can we call it manufacturing stories? There is something about the way that the news gets made these days and the process by which stories kind of enter the zeitgeist that is very disturbing. And we we found a bunch this week that sort of all follow the same pattern. So maybe we we start with the one that you sent out, Matt, where someone is apparently shouting, shouting nigger. 
in a crowded stadium. Oh, dear. Camille's black. I'm not. So just, just want to get that out there. <laughs> he doesn't self identify. Oh you, you can't see every, that every other word we could say. Yeah, I say yeah, that. Yeah, and I, Mike, I, I, mean, I couldn't. We found Matt, out last yeah. week that I can't say retard anymore. Yeah. I, and I got follow up well, emails. You, and, and from until you Scott just did it. Ross. Like, uh, oh, yeah, come on. You know, that's... It's funny because he's the only person that I would actually call a retard these oh, yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, my gosh. Thanks, Scott. But, Jez, shouting nigger in a crowded stadium. This totally happened. It's terrible. That's awful. So the headline on the Daily News story by Kate Feldman. Who is apparently some kind of social media person, um, which is maybe the first sign of the problem, um, is Jason Hayward blitzed, blitzed mm. with N-word taunts from Cardinals fan fans in return to Bush Stadium. Wait, 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 wait. Let me interrupt you before you continue. Is that you reading that as a verbatim headline? That's a verbatim headline. Okay. Well, I want you to know that I pulled up the Daily News story now. Yeah. Uh, and apparently you've had results because the headline now reads, Jason Hayward blitzed with alleged yeah. N-word taunts from... Well, so Matt and, and the fifth column get results. Continue, Matt. Well, sorry. So that was the original <laughs> thing, which I read at the great site Baseball Think Factory. Mm-hmm. Primer shout out uh, mm-hmm. here. Yeah, uh, and couldn't believe it. Like, I, I mean, I just... Uh, I, it, uh, how awful that would be. Jason Hayward... Tall, handsome, strapping black guy who played for the Cardinals last year for one season, signed a big free agent contract to the hated rival Chicago Cubs. Cubs, Cardinal fans always hate each other. So he comes back. It's his first game. He's getting loudly and lustily booed by the people that uh, oftentimes have called themselves the best sports fans in America. But now they've since gotten on everyone's nerves, just like Red Sox fans. Um, (laughs) But so this story is blared out there. And I'm thinking, my God, if you're going to say that. And the lead is Jason Hayward's return to St. Louis was marred with racial slurs. Okay, this is. I, I just uh, let me interrupt one more time. <laughs> this is the news story. Jason Hayward's return to St. Louis was marred with alleged racial yeah. slurs. <laughs> so we've dropped in some allegedly <laughs> just say, just since so you know. some of us have gotten yeah. in there and uh, and questioned about this stuff. They said that uh, ESPN crowd mics picked up the sound of this, which has also uh, been edited out uh, since then. They're saying uh, non. ESPN crowd mics picked up people saying this. So I'm looking, okay, there must have been some eyewitness testimony. There must have been people saying, my God, I can't believe the guy next to me just said this. They must have had, you know, people good. They they quoted four tweets, four tweets from people who are not identified as being in the stadium. From all I could gather by looking at these tweets, who were not people that anyone would have any reason to know. It's someone uh, who was a, uh, uh, an injured musician was how one of the Twitters uh, (laughs) described himself. That that is his bio. Another Mm -hmm. one was an equality activist, injured guitarist, the same one, an all around geek, uh, (laughs) a bunch of injured musicians. uh, (laughs) So the tweets were, ESPN needs to be very careful with opening up their crowd mics. They are absolutely nasty things being said now towards Hayward. Okay, it doesn't say anything about an N-word. Uh, the, uh, uh, the other tweet uh, here is, uh, uh, hey, Cards fans, while you were too busy yelling the N-word and booing Hayward, the Cubs were busy winning. So these are, this yeah. is the testimony on which we're basing everyone was shouting. Seems, seems a little prejudiced. Uh, the, uh, the N-word here. They, uh, there's been some uh, 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 re-reporting on it by places like the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. ESPN reviewed all their tapes. Uh, Major League Baseball, the St. Louis Cardinals, reviewed all their tapes. Deadspin reviewed all the audio tape. No one has heard how, how, how many? How many? This is at Wrigley, right? This is, no, this is in uh, Bush Stadium. Uh, uh, this is Bush Stadium in St. Louis. How many people, uh, what's the capacity of Bush like Stadium? Like 40,000. 40,000. Uh, I don't know if it was a full house. Let's presume it was a full house, just for the sake of this experiment. 40,000 people, and maybe one person said that in the, in the audience. Let's p- pretend somebody actually did maybe, say that. Maybe three. Maybe three. But let's just say that one person said this. 
And we have a national emergency in which people are reviewing <laughs> tape. People are re-reporting that somebody might be a boorish knuckle-dragger and a racist and had 17,000 beers and said something in a, a stadium. I mean, I tell you what, man, that's <laughs> fucking progress from what you would hear at Fenway Park in 1970 when, you know, George Scott was on first base. I'm sure uh, the, the news story would have been somebody didn't shed something racist at Fenway Park. The idea that we're trying to identify one person here as a news story and we're putting... And by the way, one of the quotes that are tweeted here, I, like, he tweeted something 30 minutes ago that said, if nothing else, we can, we can lay to rest the idea that St. Louis fans don't boo opposition players. Har, har, har. If nothing else. So you're, the guy that actually started spreading this is basically acknowledging that he has no evidence that it happened. And it's become a national news story. And of course it was picked up by people um, based entirely on the Daily News reporting, which is based entirely on four randos on Twitter. So not reporting. So yeah. unreporting. Uh, CBS Detroit. Headline. Cubs Jason Hayward called N-word in return to St. Louis. Yeah. That's a headline. Uh, Salon.com. This is very surprising. <laughs> Racism at the ballpark. Cub star Jason Hayward called N-word booed by fans in his return to St. Louis. Uh, the uh, Jet, I believe, uh, also. Uh, a bunch of people. If you go on on uh, on uh, uh, Google News, you'll see tons of people doing this. It, it's it's This is among the most uh, horrifying things anybody could be accused of. A city, a ballpark, an individual that you stood up and yelled the N-word at a black guy. This is right. this is the mark right. of... The, one, the uh, one word you won't actually say on this podcast where you will say pretty you'll, much anything. You'll you'll get me so weird. eventually. By the way, we are in a, in a point in this culture, just just to, just to be clear about this, that, uh, that uh, in St. Louis, if somebody stood up and shouted that word. I mean, shouted even, it so even much Michael that, 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 that blitzed. That blitzed. That blitzed somebody with this. I think that they would be physically attacked. It's I'm, I'm going to throw you guys a lifeline. We don't. We don't have to keep talking about this because sorry, you guys are annoying. obviously so uncomfortable using a word in context, like a word. It is not going to bite you. Nigger. I, I wrote it. Yeah, but it's I wrote it. My blog I don't, post. I don't want. I don't want to. Can we edit that out? No. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely not. No, we're not. Okay. Right. But but this is not unique to this story. And no. in the last several days, we've actually seen multiple oh, God. examples of this. Okay. Uh, and you sent several. I sent several. You sent several. <laughs> uh, apparently something about I, I, Southwest, I, I, uh, I need, I need, a rash of anti-gay yeah, messages on I receipts. To, I need to get some friends. <laughs> I need to stop looking at this stuff all the time. Well, let's let's do them in order, and I'll do them very quickly. Okay. Uh, the first one is um, without qualification. Um, like as Matt said, uh, there was a story about a Southwest ejecting a passenger who was speaking Arabic. Um, they just said this. Obviously, you know, we're an airline. We never carry people who speak Arabic. <laughs> so we're going to throw everybody off who speaks Arabic. You know, the thing doesn't make sense at first. There's always, by the way, if somebody's thrown off an airplane, yeah. is always something else. There was a woman uh, like a month ago who... Uh, so Black Lives Matter activist. Yes, who yeah. said I was fly, flying while flying black. Flying while black. Because again, yeah. you know, not a lot of black people fly. This is just, they just randomly doing this all the time. <laughs> and it turned out that the whole thing was like, I mean, you can't prove any of this stuff, but it seemed there's a, a, a lot of evidence that suggested this was manufactured and she was just being a jerk 
And they were like, you know what? Get off the plane. <laughs> and and she tweeted afterwards. She said, I thought I wrote it down. I, oh, this is the tweet when she got it. Oh, this is so good. So good. Her name is Amani Cezanne. And she's also a slam poet. So you can watch her stuff on, on, on YouTube. And it is, it is the most mind-numbing. And it's in that cadence, the poetry cadence, where it's just, <laughs> it's just stupid things but read in a certain way. Like, I am on a plane. It's like, no, you're just on a plane. That's just, I'm on a plane. But, it's not. but, this, but she said, I should have said. Was that black scent? No, it wasn't. Okay. I, never, I would never do something like that. Uh, today, I was escorted off a plane by two armed Caucasian male officers. Oh, my God. I have never believed so strongly that I could die at any moment. <laughs> because you're an idiot. Because <laughs> like, this is, you're a moron. People, people actually, uh, and after she tweeted that, that story was widely reported. I mean, as a journalist, if you see that text, you're like, All right, you know what, I'm like, I think I'm going to be a little more circumspect about this claim. But so the Southwest one comes out. Everybody reports it. The kid's a student at UC Berkeley. Alarm bell. Everybody's going <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy. Then Southwest... Because there's two examples, if I'm doing them two in a row, of the actual corporations themselves pushing back and says, by the way, the, the, the person was reported uh, to, to the stewardess and said, you know, this person's making me uncomfortable. If that was the case that they did that every time, they'd just be taking people off the plane all the time. It turns out the person that reported them also speaks Arabic. So therefore is somebody from the Middle East, and that is the implication of their statement, and said, you know, that guy was saying stuff that was totally crazy, and you should, you should be, you should be, you know, and, and look, they're, they're taking a, a particular, like, a, I think they're being overcautious and probably stupid about this, but it's not what people said it was, number one. Number two, second story, everybody heard about the homophobic cake incident um, at, a, you know, the, the ground zero of uh, homophobia, Whole Foods in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy who's a gay pastor, I mean, look, it's a good culture we live in. We have gay pastors. A gay pastor who brings his cake and it says love wins on the top. And then in like a different typeface and like a different color, it says fag underneath it. And so he leaves uh, and, and, and then he gets lawyers and calls a press conference. And, and you know, we dutifully report this stuff because this is a click factory stuff. People love this. Somebody said something horrible. We have to, I mean, isn't America horrible? It vindicates all of my beliefs about American hatred. Turns out Whole Foods also pitches, pushes back. So just like the Southwest one, the guy who reported uh, the, the Southwest, also Arabic speaker, the person who made the cake was gay. That was the first <laughs> problem. And the second one is that they have surveillance video of the thing being at, that that it's not on the cake and the the seal is on it in a different place. It's totally crazy. And then of course the last final one of just to make everybody loves stories that that vindicate their points of view. Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau. The handsome uh, new prime minister of Canada. Debonair. Son of Pierre Trudeau. Um, often accused of being a bit doltish, by the way, amongst Canadians and, and Canadian uh, sort of politicos. Uh, goes to some science lab and, and 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 gets a sarcastic. This is how it was presented: a sarcastic uh, question from the press. What is quantum computing, smart guy? And he gives this unbelievably fluid uh, and, and and perfect answer. Camille, this is a great story. Everyone loves it. It vindicates what they think because they love Justin Trudeau. Everyone yeah, loves him. Yeah. The media loves him. So what happens? I mean, he's he's a smart guy, right? This is what happened, right? Yeah. Well, what happens, of course, is what happened with all of these stories. It explodes. It is yeah. on absolutely every single media outlet imaginable. Uh, first, of course, all of the blogs, the various blogs with titles like everyone should be able to explain quantum computing just like Justin Trudeau. <laughs> um, CNN, Reuters, CBC News. Everyone picks up the story. Turns out his explanation wasn't all that great. 
Yeah. Also turns out there was a little bit of an exchange Mm -hmm. where he kind of primed someone and suggested they ask the question, which sort of seems important as well. Um, And the reason, the truth is, I wasn't going to watch the video because I saw it circulating on social media. I wasn't interested. Uh, And in fact, I kind of hate social media in in, in a lot of ways, but not like an old guy just kind of hates things. But there are things I hate about it. And I think what I hate about it was really uh, captured in, is it Will Oresman? Is it Arenas? Arenas, I think, from from Slate. Yeah, Yeah. from Slate. I mean, he had this fantastic piece, which I saw you share, uh, Moynihan, and just the one quote from it. Uh, the Trudeau story is a perfect gleaming artifact of a system in which truth is that which gets the most Facebook shares. Yeah. That is so disappointingly and disturbingly true. I don't think it's true. On I'm more... some level. On some level. But so let me give you one more thing yeah. before you chime in, because I want your perspective on this. I am I have the least the shortest tenure in the media universe of the of the three of us here. Um, when I started working on the independence and I would see not so much what we were doing up close because we were really disciplined and thoughtful about the stuff that we did. I owe a lot of that to you and your sensibilities about making news, Matt Welch. But to see up close and personal, like how people make news, how you rush and make decisions, how you can sometimes like crudely pick up a story, not quite understand it, write some copy that's supposed to capture it. And it just gets out there into the ether and the correction is either never heard Um, or never gets published at all like that is kind of frightening and there's something about and the reason we do this segment i think is both because one it's kind of funny and and it's nice to vent but two because there's something about cultivating skepticism amongst readers that i think is important to both them getting good information and keeping the friggin media honest so i I don't know i would argue uh and again i'm optimistic in general about a lot of stuff you Um, are you're a good man in that Yes, it's easier to get this stuff uh, spread around out there, particularly if it crosses, if it's the magical space of it allows people who are sharing it and forwarding it to engage in virtue signaling. Look, mm-hmm. I'm I'm against racism. I'm right. like all those other people. I didn't read the article. Uh, the title you know, just sounds like it comports with so my beliefs. So if it's like that and, and you have uh, p- people who are uh, very conscious about going after clickbait. So, yeah, it can go out. Very quickly. But at the same time, you go back to Jason Hayward's story, you know, the deadspin, um, the Gawker media sports empire, which, you know, Gawker just got sued its, its pants off by Hulk Hogan and is known for engaging in journalistic practices that make uh, old people uh, nervous. Um, deadspin was able to come out pretty uh, thoroughly and say, no, Daily News ESPN Mike's didn't pick up yeah. a bunch of people saying the N-word at Jason Hayward. Jesus Christ. You know? I think but there's there's so much of this stuff when it happens so much, and so much of it doesn't get corrected. And it just lives on on the internet and people just, you know, it, there's a certain inertia and a forward motion of this stuff that people just think it happens all the time. And I'll give you another example of this. And it was one of these examples that I have an email from the day that the story came out to a friend, and I said, This is a hoax. And there's a friend of mine who's gay, and it was a, a homophobic uh, hate crime attack. And um, it had the telltale sign. Somebody carved something into his arm. I have a, I have a folder this thick of people whose carvings were fake, including the one, the, the, the McCain supporter. Do you remember that the Obama that the, the carved something in her head in Colorado and it was mm. backwards? Uh, it's, it's always this thing. And I'm going to show you this and you can't see this. And I want I want people at home and I'm going to go out on a limb here and I probably shouldn't do this, but at home you can look this up. And this is my own publication, The Daily Beast. This is, still exists on their website. And that's the headline. It says, they carved die fag into his arms. 
Uh, and then the, the, the subhead is Rick Jones suffered horrific wounds after a vicious homophobic attack. There's no qualifications at all. I read the story and I said, this is fake. I, immediately. I said this. And there were a million things that didn't add up. I said, this is fake. I went on um, CNN with Jake Tapper after the UVA thing and I was pressed by him. I said, this doesn't seem real to me. We are for these types of things. We don't we we turn all of our our sort of alarms off and we cut our antennae in half and say, well, you know, it's a more important story than that. The tr- this is more important than the truth. And you see you see this in the, the Washington Post headline after the UVA thing where do you remember that headline? They changed it. Mm. And it was like, you should always believe uh, uh, rape victims, which in its in its, its its own title, as you're, you were saying, they're victims. Of uh-huh. They haven't been. Yeah. And so you should always believe. It. So people just in if it's something like this, you have to believe and it might fall apart later, but you have to believe you can't do an allegedly. You can't say, well, wait a second, because they're victims and you're traumatizing them by asking them questions. The problem is, is that we're journalists and this is what we do. We ask people questions and we actually have to be. You sort of questioning and circumspect. And there is a new thing in journalism that hasn't been, it hasn't really existed as aggressively as it has in the past, in which there's a certain class of story that we don't ask questions about. And we just say they're shouting racist abuse at a baseball right. player. That is horrible because what that is going to do, it's going to midwife a whole number of hot takes in a different part of the website in which people will say, you know, I really want to talk about, you know, from Ty Cobb to today, how MLB's track record. I just wrote you a song yeah. right there, you know. Yeah. And that's, I think, where we are in, in, in media now is that is that this quest for clicks and this 24 hour news cycle and the hot take. And you have all of these young journalists who don't go to journalism school. They never, you know, they're never a court reporter for the New York Star Ledger. They, they come they, they come out of school. And I'm sorry to sound like an old man, but they come out of school and they treat Big websites, just like college newspapers, and most of them that I read actually sound like college newspapers. Yeah. Now. I used to have uh, I write a media column. And I've, I've written a lot about the media over the years, and so I've read all these terrible books, these thumb suckers, the news about the news, which is one of the better ones by James Fallows, and and the elements of journalism and all these things. And uh, they always sort of wrestle with each other about what's the exact definition of journalism, but usually it gets around to a single word, which is verification. Mm. Like we can verify some stuff. Sometimes right. you just get it by virtue of an interview. That person said this on the record and you can listen to it or watch it or see it or read it. Um, and but the verification aspect of this is is what is so alarming because uh, you should always be aware. And this is particularly true of ideological journalism, which I'm editor of a libertarian publication. Uh, if something hits all tickles, all of your confirmation bias. Right. You know, I'm I'm primed to believe that. There's some stupid university uh, professor or chancellor who locks up a student for saying, uh, you know, yay, Donald Trump or something like that. Right. Because I'm really into free speech and I really uh, anti a lot of the kind of uh, things out there. So it's exactly on those kind of stories that you have to spend the most time on to make sure is has any kind of truth behind it, some kind of eyewitness testimony or anything into it, because otherwise you're going to let your own guard down and just spread something that's not true. And that sense of verification doesn't seem to be as intrinsic. And this is not just a question of snot those kids working for BuzzFeed or whatever. It's actually of the Daily News, which is one of the 10 largest newspapers it, it, in the country. And I'm going to ask listeners, and you can hit me up on Twitter and hit Camille up on Twitter and Matt up on Twitter. If, if you, on the top of your head, out of the top of your head, don't use Google. Just off the top of your head, is people who consume news, you're you're obviously clever enough to be listening to this podcast. So if you, you know, you <laughs> Quite can, I, I can think of um, twenty hoaxes in the past year. Yeah, I mean, I, I really can. 
Um, anything from Oberlin clan people on campus, University of Missouri clan people on campus. Oberlin one's great because it turned out to be a person in a bathrobe. The uh, University of Missouri one, um, is, there's, there's a bunch of plane ones, people being kicked off of planes that didn't turn out to be true. Receipt ones that yeah, we talked yeah, about, you know, yeah. somebody wrote something uh, on your receipt that was homophobic or racist or something. It turns out it was added later. Uh, two examples of that uh, recently. One was great. It was a woman uh, at Red Lobster who said that instead of a tip, she got a racial slur. Mm-hmm. And then she raised, uh, I think, $11,000, $15,000 on GoFundMe. Because if someone says a bad word to you, you deserve $15,000. She took the money and then she bought a car with it and it turned out to be a hoax. But you can think of hundred. The thing is, is it's our responsibility in the media to not just regurgitate this stuff because it encourages more and more people to do it. Yeah, yeah. We have a uh, uh, parting shot, Camille Foster. Parting and, shots. And I know that you have been working with uh, Carl Hart and other people yes. talking about uh, this uh, big United Nations meeting that's happening this week in New York having to do with the drug war. Tell us about it and the significance. Yeah, well, I mean, I think this is a really important story, uh, and I'm not certain that it will get the sort of coverage that it really, really, really warrants. Uh, you know, the U.N. General Assembly is getting together here in New York this week. This is the first time that they are actually convening one of these meetings focused on drugs since 1998. In 1998, they adopted this mantra, a drug free world we can do it oh jesus Um, they have failed miserably at creating that drug-free world and and this is not important simply because they failed in that but because things have changed so dramatically uh in terms of sort of the global uh approach and landscape with respect to drugs here in the united states we all know that marijuana decriminalization is a thing that seems to be happening although carl hart dr carl hart at columbia university you should read his book high price very good um has warned me that things could Go in the opposite direction is entirely possible. I'm not sure that's the case, but we should be on guard. Um, But there are other places uh, where they're doing even bolder things than that, like completely decriminalizing all drugs um, or at least experimenting with prescribing things like heroin to people who are actual heroin addicts. Um, There is something really important going on right now, unfortunately. Uh, And this wraps on Thursday. We are taping this on a Wednesday and you should be getting this Thursday morning. So you'll find out. Um, It seems incredibly likely that the status quo will prevail at the end of this meeting. And the only thing that they'll acknowledge is, yeah, we ought to be a bit more compassionate. Um, Yeah, we ought to do more of an emphasis on treatment. Um, But unfortunately, these U.N. guidelines have been instrumental in perpetuating the war on drugs abroad. Um, But fortunately, folks are starting to wake up a bit to, to just how outlandish our policy goals are, our objectives of creating a drug-free world. It's not a thing. You can't do that. Um, but my hope, and I've migrated from someone who was, you know, the, of course drugs are bad, but the drug war is worse, to someone who says, well, drugs are bad, but plenty of things are bad. We don't make them illegal. Yeah. Um, and actually, aren't, drugs aren't uniquely bad, is actually my current position, but we'll talk about that more on another day. I don't know if you guys have anything you want to chime in on well, with quickly. I, I, We've got about 60 seconds, seconds. seconds left, and I'll tell you what, the parting shot that we'll get to um, uh, probably next week is uh, financial news, sort of financial news. It just uh, was announced now uh, in the last hour while we were doing this podcast. Uh, Alexander Hamilton staying on the 10. Andrew Jackson is gone from the 20, replaced by Harriet Tubman. So Harriet Tubman, wow. Harriet Tubman on the Whoa. 20, and I guess we'll talk about that next time. Uh, Whoa. I support that. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm anti-Jackson, so that's... Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Check us out at uh, wethefifth.com and uh, at wethefifth on Twitter. Uh, subscribe, rate, like what we're doing. Write glowing reviews. Thanks, people.
perfect. 